WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC in New York, this is On the Media. I'm Bob Garfield. And I'm Brooke Gladstone. This past Wednesday, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, a special panel within the CDC, met for an emergency. The problem? Johnson & Johnson's coronavirus vaccine. The CDC and FDA just released a joint statement that is calling for an immediate pause in the use of the Johnson & Johnson single-dose coronavirus vaccine. This vaccine has already been given to 6.8 million Americans, and now investigators are looking into six cases of blood clots, all in women, all under the age of 48, who received that vaccine. Johnson & Johnson now says it'll delay the rollout of the vaccine in Europe. Was Johnson & Johnson causing these blood clots or just in the biologically wrong place at the wrong time? If the vaccines did cause the clots, what's the risk to everyone else? Should all of the nearly 7 million recipients of the one-shot wonder be concerned? And then, thorniest of all, the logistics. Pausing production of any vaccine in a pandemic is not a simple calculation. Any extension of the pause will result in the fact that the most vulnerable individuals in the United States will remain vulnerable. On this point, there was true debate, not just on the panel, not just in the virtual world of Twitter hot takes, but in the world of flesh and bone. Would putting Johnson & Johnson on ice inspire trust in our health systems or play to the skeptics or the vaccine hesitant? We don't know, and neither does the CDC. Thoughtfully and anticlimactically, the panel punted deciding not to decide on J&J's fate without more data, because that's what scientists do. Perhaps you wondered, well, what does that mean? How bad is this? So, while we all sit in the great waiting room of science together, we bring you the latest in our series of breaking news consumer handbooks, Vaccine Edition. What the Johnson & Johnson episode exposes, among other things, is our long and paradoxical relationship with vaccines that asks us to invite foreign bodies into our own bodies. There's always a chance that things don't go perfectly. There are side effects and the other hot-button word of the week, breakthrough infections. 
but the headlines usually emphasize just the top half of a simple fraction to represent the whole, which inevitably yields the wrong answer. We really need to know what the denominator is in order to tell people how big the risk is. Sikhan Akpan is the health and science editor for the WNYC Newsroom. He wrote a piece this week for The Gothamist on the wave of breakthrough infection stories hitting the news. Think back to your middle school math class and when you're doing fractions. The numerator is the number up top, the denominator is the number on the bottom, and that can tell you percentages or what proportion of people might be involved with a certain situation. When it comes to breakthrough infections, that percentage, it turns out, is very, very low. And that's point one in our handbook. Just because the story is everywhere doesn't mean the risks are. Point two is to note that the scary headlines tend to focus on the numerator and leave out the contextualizing denominator. One big story recently was about breakthrough infections in Michigan, 246 of them out of a million and a half who got the vaccine. So do the math. 246 out of a million and a half is about 1 in 10,000. So what does that tell us? Everyone has likely heard this, you know, 95% number with the uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Do that math for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. You would predict that about 1 in 2,000 people who get vaccinated with those vaccines would experience a breakthrough infection. That is using the 90 to 95% efficacy number, right? Exactly. So you have one in 2,000 there. You set up the Michigan numbers, 246 breakthrough infections, over 1.5 million vaccinated from the beginning of the year to the end of March. That gives you one in 10,000. That's a lot better than one in 2,000. Right? What the numbers from Michigan are telling us is that the vaccines appear to be doing better than expected based off of the clinical trial results. Pretty surprising. That said, we can't just blame the headlines. Beneath them lie a complicated vocabulary of terms that may mean one thing to researchers and something entirely else to the rest of us. Point three, learn the vaccine lexicon. Pause, for instance, may not mean what you think it means. Kai Kupferschmidt is a science journalist based in Berlin who writes for Science Magazine. Clinical trials with COVID-19 were done in 20, 30, 40,000 people. If you have a side effect that only occurs, say, once in 100,000 people, then you're not going to pick that up before you actually start giving the vaccine to millions of people. This is something that we've seen with many vaccines, that you start rolling it out, you see a safety signal. In the beginning, it's hard to know whether this is really something that the vaccine is causing or whether this is just basically a coincidence. And and so it's investigated. And normally what you do is you pause using the vaccine while you investigate the safety signal. And then, you know, depending on what you find, you might restart it or stop it or restart it just in some people. Of course, what's different this time is that we're doing all of this in the middle of a devastating pandemic that has killed more than three million people. So the stakes are that much higher. Science expects these moments, and so should we. Breakthrough just means an infection that has made it past a vaccinated person's defenses. Breakthrough does not mean the vaccine no longer works. In inoculating hundreds of millions of people, there will be side effects, infections, and deaths. But so much less death. And if you think back to the halcyon days of yore, 
We know this. We act on this knowledge every single year, which is point four. Every virus mutates, not necessarily for the worse. We vaccinate annually against the descendants of the horrific 1918 flu. Every year, the offspring of a virus older than Jay Gatsby causes breakthrough infections across the world, but we don't see it that way. We see it as a dinner party anecdote. You know, I got my flu shot and I still caught it. We don't see ourselves in a headline saying, millions saved by vaccines again. But, of course, maybe the issue isn't the headlines or the language or even the virus. Maybe it's the vaccine itself that's causing this communication problem. That's point five. Civilization's greatest invention, I think, is the vaccine. But the concept is abstractly terrifying. It just feels risky. It's worth remembering that humans are very bad at judging rare risks, right? At the moment, this is such a rare event. There was one comparison, I haven't actually checked the numbers, but that you're more likely to have a car accident on the way to being vaccinated than, you know, having the side effect from the vaccination. Thank God for cars. We're always more <laughs> likely to get into trouble there than almost anything else. Exactly. That, that, that always helps as a comparison. But I also think that some of these comparisons aren't very helpful because you do have to remember, you know, the, the psychology of vaccination is quite complicated. I mean, we are talking about something that you give to healthy people. Most people find the idea of something being injected into their body in itself kind of scary. You said that we calculate our own risk on the basis of whether or not we are currently well, in part. Because if we're currently well, maybe we can take measures to ensure we stay well, you know, double mask and all the stuff they tell us to do. I, I think there are several things that trip us up when we do these risk calculations. One of them is that as humans, we have this illusion of control. So if somebody injects something in your body, you feel that you have no control over whether you're going to have the side effect or not. When you're driving a car, of course, you know, your control over whether you're going to get in, in an accident is also very small. You can easily get in an accident even though you do everything right. But we have this idea that we are in control of that risk. The other thing is that we tend towards risks of omission rather than risks of commission. So if you ask, for instance, a mother whether she would vaccinate her child and you tell her, well, there's the same risk for the child getting this rare disease if you don't vaccinate him, but then there's the risk if you vaccinate him, people tend to choose the risk which is not their fault you know, in quotation marks, it's the feeling of, well, if it happens, it happens, but I didn't do it. So there's all of these different factors that play a role psychologically when we're judging these risks. And I think sometimes it just helps to explain these factors, like especially in this pandemic, it's almost become the overriding thing is to try and understand your biases in how we aggregate this data and perceive it and what our ultimate conclusions are. Not so easy. Tracking how our brain works is like trying to see air. And this is something that in the debate about this Johnson & Johnson pause that really upset me was just the way that everybody, you know, two minutes after that pause was announced, that everybody was so sure that this was either a complete disaster and the wrong decision or clearly this was right and the vaccine should be immediately taken off the market now. These things are quite complicated and it is worth taking the time to understand all the factors that play a role in, in this decision making. 
A crucial factor in the decision to pause the J&J vaccine was not just about clots, but a particular kind of clot, combined with a reduction in platelets, something requiring study. Digging into these factors enable us to get a grip on risky feelings floating like vapor in the air. You may be inclined to see disaster for yourself in a headline, but the truth is you have a very personalized risk equation. Point six, scrutinize how you assess risk. When facing patchwork vaccine news, it's vital to know thyself. Six cases, that's what we have at the moment, six cases and more than seven million people vaccinated with this in the U.S. isn't a lot, right? But you have to realize that it takes some time to see these blood clots and for people to be diagnosed and for it to be reported. Now, the AKIP meeting, the body that decides on these recommendations, which is a mm -hmm. body of CDC and FDA, this was on Wednesday evening. In their deliberations, they made it very clear that they would expect that any cases from the first, say, 3.5 million people vaccinated might have been reported now. But the 3.5 million people that were vaccinated with Johnson Johnson in the past two weeks, we probably haven't seen those cases yet. So, assessments are underway to determine who and how many out of millions face a risk, however rare. It's a pause. But, as he noted, many had already made up their minds. Critics of the pause on social media were quick to compare the risk of the clots experienced by the six women with the risk of clots of a different kind associated with birth control pills. The risk of those clots is much bigger, though still very small. So why all the fuss? Point seven. Analogies dramatically understate the complexity of the data. Risk assessments also obviously govern our behavior. Despite the better-than-predicted response to the vaccine in Michigan, case rates are soaring. Why? Well, the vaccine rollout hasn't gone so well. But perhaps more important are those personal risk assessments. Sikhan Akpan. There has been what I would describe as a, a libertarian spirit through much of Michigan's pandemic response. So you have to think, okay, people are mingling, right? They're getting exposed. And one of the biggest factors, whether or not you catch any germ, is your exposure. And that also applies to vaccinated people. You know, there was this caveat in the CDC's travel policy that came out a few weeks ago that said, okay, people are vaccinated, you still need to wear a mask in transit. That's because you're going to be interacting with crowds. You don't know if those people are vaccinated and protected. There's the chance that you could get exposed to a large volume of the virus. And then even in that situation, your immunity might break down and you might get infected. You know, your immune system is a bit like the deflector shields in Star Wars or Star Trek. You hit your immune system or your immunity with uh, a short laser beam of virus, right? The shields hold. But if you're hammered by a ship that is cloaked. They <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so have Darth Vader is bearing down on you with an Imperial class destroyer. Sorry, I'm getting way too nerdy here. Your shields are going to have a harder time. There's going to be a higher chance that you might catch that virus. And that could happen to people who are vaccinated too. Point eight, 
Effectiveness in a lab and in the real world are two different numbers. Real world numbers come later. They may actually be better. The CDC just announced that 5,800 vaccinated people experienced breakthrough infections so far. 77 million Americans have been fully vaccinated. Do the math. But the story isn't over. With science, it never is. In the murky early days of the breakout, we were wiping down our groceries, unsure how it spread. Now we know better. The virus is still with us, and even vaccinated, we're not invulnerable. But new information can guide us if we're flexible, if we see knowledge as a process, as scientists do. And the central part of science reporting is saying, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, and here's why it doesn't mean the sky is falling. I still see people on the street hop down from sidewalks whenever a jogger runs by them. What we know about airborne coronavirus is that the risk is extremely low outdoors, especially when you're spending a a short time next to somebody. You know, the odds of that jogger being able to give you coronavirus is next to none. Yet there was so much reporting about airborne coronavirus last summer people really got it in their heads that the outdoors is a dangerous place. The lack of context there at the very beginning can have, you know, really serious ramifications down the line. Now, there's a lot of evidence suggesting the outdoors are pretty safe. But those initial headlines tweaked your behavior and your reactions to the behaviors of others months ago. Meanwhile, news happens, and some of it changes things, but some of it is not quite ready for consumption. We'll consume it anyway. Point nine, studies are not created equal. Find a voice to help you through the weeds, or just walk away. And I think we have basically systematically miseducated our readers about how science works, because we never describe the process all that well, and because we keep writing stories that basically say new research shows that three cups of coffee a day reduces your risk of Alzheimer or increases your risk of cancer. You know, I'm not really interested in this one study. I'm really curious, you know, what about the 50 studies that have been done about the same issue before? What does the balance of the evidence say? Because you might get a really well done clinical trial that basically answers a question really well. And then Three weeks later, another result comes out that's different, but it's from a clinical trial that was much smaller, that wasn't as well done. But of course, that's the news. So we have this implicit bias in journalism towards what's new and not what's true. And I think that's a really hard one to break through. If there's something the news and science have in common, it's that both are getting faster. Be patient with yourself. Working through the numbers, the risks, the benefits is hard. Remember, this is new territory for scientists and journalists, too. We would serve our readers a lot better if we would write stories that aren't really about results, that are about the process. I think in some ways the meeting on Wednesday evening was really interesting because they didn't come up with any decision in the end. You know, they didn't unpause the vaccine or anything. But the process was fascinating to watch. Some of the greatest, you know, novels or movies, you know, kind of have an open ending If you can manage to tell a really, really interesting story, then, you know, then you've got your reader listening to you. And maybe at the end, the fact that there is no result yet isn't as important. But of course, that's a hard sell to editors. I know that. We conclude on point 10. Be flexible. Science is a process that never ends. As the data flow in, 
the advice will change. Meanwhile, what can I get you? One mask or two? Sanitizer, anyone? Or is there a gallon of it at home crying for your attention because, you know, you overbought? This isn't going to last forever, but something else is bound to come up. So don't do it halfway. Either pay really close attention to vaccine news or not much at all. If you're vaccinated, you've already got it covered the best you can. Coming up, the blowout in Bessemer and the lessons it holds for organizers and the media. This is On the Media. 